Welcome to The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. On The Purposeful Project podcast, we share real-life stories from some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. We like to think our podcast will provide mentorship to those that need it and give you access to the knowledge you need to start and scale a business. To hear these incredible stories, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts or you can simply visit purposefulproject.com. So I'd like to welcome my guest, Satch. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Thank you. And that was a very inspiring um, very appropriate given circumstances. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It's, it's, I feel honoured to have you here today. Now, can you please start off, thank if you, you don't mind, introducing yourself to the audience? Sure. So uh, my name is Satch Kokardia. I co-founded an online fashion company called SecretSales.com back in 2007 with my brother Nish. Um, I was a 22-year-old uh, you know, guy fresh out of university without any experience. And I guess echoing you know, what Simon just explained is that um, I didn't have the experience to start my company at that age. I didn't have uh, the acumen. And I certainly had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, there was an opportunity and I ran at it uh, at a hundred miles an hour. I borrowed some money from a bank. I actually put my parents' house on the line and borrowed a hundred grand. Um, and, you know, this other, again, not really appreciating uh, the speed to which the business was going to scale. And in summary, and we can talk about this in more detail, but in summary, the business grew from, zero to 150 employees within about sort of six to seven years. Um, we uh, raised over that period from institutional investors uh, around 24 million, which, which the majority of that was equity based. And then there's a bit of debt that was chucked on at the end. Um, and the business was sold uh, to a private equity firm in 2017 when we reached sales of 47 million. And, um, what a lot of people don't always know is that <clears throat> I ended up buying the company back a year later. Um, and I, you know, that was a very emotional journey for me. And I was fortunate enough to sell it for the second time in, uh, in May, 2019. Um, and since then I've been working as, uh, an investor of sorts. I've been a non-executive advisor to a handful of businesses. I'm also a chairman to another business, uh, which is, uh, relatively new and you guys, I'm sure will hear about it soon. Um, and I'm also in the process of starting a, a, a direct consumer business within the gold space. So I'm, uh, I'm focusing a lot of my time on, on doing that. And uh, I'm really excited to uh, to what that might lead towards. Um, and, you know, again, I think your introduction was so good because everything that I'm doing is based on opportunistic areas that I feel have been created because of this world being somewhat mad and crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, rather than dwelling on why things are the way they are and rather than you know, allowing them to affect me, I'm sort of keeping my, my mindset super positive and super focused and um, thinking about areas and things that I can do that will actually help me and the people around me rather than just try to do the, the generic, oh, I want to start a business because I want to change the world. It's more about, well, this has come out of that and let's think about, let's do it, let's do something about it. I already have so many questions. I, I love your, your story. <laughs> 
And no, I think um, I, I want to understand so many things. First of all, I want to understand how the conversation went when you asked your parents to put their house on the line. And I want to know how you convinced them. Was it easy? Was it hard? Were they all in? Did it take time? How did, how did the risk muscle in your brain uh, cope with it? So, so my, my parents are immigrants. They're both born and raised in Kenya. We're Indian by descent. Um, and they were forced to come to the UK because of the political situation in Kenya. Uh, my, my father came at a really young age at 13, my mother a little bit later. And, you know, they were forced to, to you know, work really hard. Like, my, you know, my pops had about three or four jobs, cleaning dishes, ice cream factories, biscuit factories, you know, whatever he could do, he would do. And, um, you know, there was back in the sixties, it wasn't easy for an immigrant, uh, to come and get a job, right? There was still what was perceived as sort of racial discrimination. And, and, you know, there was, uh, challenges that both of my parents and everyone actually that I know who is an immigrant came into the country at that time. They all faced a very similar thing, which was if they don't start a business, they're not going to make any money because actually holding, getting a job was hard enough. Keeping the job was even harder. Um, and so, you know, my parents are entrepreneurs through and through. And I, I think this is one of the things uh, and reasons why everyone in my family, including my siblings, they all run their own business because it's been ingrained in us from a young age, uh, like super, super young. You know, I remember my father telling me that I should always, you know, work for myself and not for anyone else. Not that there's any reason or, or problem with working for anyone else. Um, but in his eyes, it, that was just the thing to do. And so when it came to asking him for money, it, what the, he didn't even think he was like, my, my kids, uh, want to start a business and I'm going to do everything I can to support them. So there was nothing. My father is the most, um, supportive person that you, that, you know, he's so positive and super supportive and very focused and, uh, it didn't take anything. In fact, like I, I, if I remember, it was probably his, uh, recommendation. Um, I would never have suggested that, but and equally, by the way, Simon, like I had no idea or perspective of the, uh, of the risk involved. Right. Because at that age I had, I was living at home. I didn't have any, I'd had no overheads. Right. I had no liabilities. And, um, I didn't realize what failure would have caused for my family, mm. but equally I'm not one to allow failure to happen easily either. So I'm, I'm always quite driven and, uh, I was always going to try and make something work. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it helps to have supporting me members of the family around you for sure. Mm. What's your father's name? I feel like he deserves a shout out. I, I want to remember his name. <laughs> his name is P.D. Kakadia. P.D. Kakadia. So he was, so, so actually, uh, he was involved in, with, during the early days of Pepe Jeans. Yeah. So, wow. so Pepe Jeans in, uh, was in, uh, uh, kicked off in Portobello Road Market in like 1972 by uh, the Shah brothers who, for me, are like uncles. So I, I, I grew up with them. And my father was, was close to them um, and was involved uh, with the building of that brand. And my father then looked after Benelux, uh, Pepe, so Belgium, Luxembourg, uh, and France. And um, actually, you know, there's a lot of people that complain about their commutes. My father used to commute to Belgium every day, back, back and forth. He used to wake up at 5 or 4.30. My mum would drop him to the airport. He would fly to Belgium. He would work all there, uh, work there, and then he would fly back 
And then he would, I, I didn't see my dad for about 10 to 12 years, really. It was, it was a weekend father because, you know, he was always commuting, but he would come back just to see us in bed, um, which I thought was really, you know, in later in life, I appreciated. Back then, I didn't really, he was just a very strict father that I was quite scared of, to be honest. Mm. Um, but he was totally in it for the family. And, you know, he did everything he could to try and, you know, get this, the, the family the support that they needed. And I'm very grateful. Isn't it amazing perspective as you get older and you look back, maybe a lot of my listeners are, are young people and maybe they, they resent their parents a bit for working too hard or whatever. You know, as you get older, you realize how much that actually meant they loved you. you know, that, that, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't have children. I mean, at least none that I know of. And um, they are, uh, something changes in you when you have children, right? Uh, at least I've seen that from my brother. And um, it's a beautiful thing. Probably yeah, you have the most appreciation for your parents a bit more for starts. Mm. You know, the, the, the mm. starter. There's loads. There's loads. They're totally true. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. No, I, I, I was. I was good. No, I, and I, I, um, I, I think that there's an element here that I want to go a little bit deeper on for my audience to pick up on. I think I, I personally uh, had no help from my parents. In fact, my, my father sadly passed away suddenly of a heart attack, and my mother kicked me out of home. Uh, quite soon after that and so I actually started a business at 15 years old with no mm. family help and and I um I sometimes think that it was a good thing I actually thank my mother now because it kind of made my entrepreneurial muscle wake up and make me go sure. out there and make it happen but it's something that actually touches me emotionally when I when I hear the support from a family member in that way and and I think what's really interesting about your your story well there's m many elements but one thing I really want to pick up on and, and, and just dive into it for a second is you know your your parents have, have kind of I guess always been entrepreneurs as, as long as you've been born and and therefore it's ingrained in you but it was actually kind of I guess uh, something they had to do because in 1960 there were no jobs so they they had to become entrepreneurs it, so that 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 that's one of the things. Is an entrepreneur born or bred? I guess that's my question for you. And I, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'm interested in what you think. So this is a question I've been asked before, and I've toyed with, with, with my response. There were, um, there were courses now at university, like at Imperial, for example, where you can do an entrepreneurial degree, uh, which always bewildered me because I had no idea what you would teach. How would you teach someone how to hustle? Like, like, I've spoken at you know, Imperial, so I, I kind of I know that course very well. I've, I'm a I'm a speaker yeah. for them, but I know what you yeah. mean. And I did, and I like Secret Sales was selected by Ten Downing Street to be part of a program called the Future Fifty. Um, and off the back of that, we were uh, approached by the London Stock Exchange to uh, to be a part of an elite program, which allowed me to do what was essentially a fast track MBA at Imperial. And that's where I learned about what, you know, that they were doing all of these things. Um, and if I look at my personal experience and I look at myself and my journey, you know, I've hustled the hell out of everything, right? Like I uh, used to sell mobile phones, uh, used mobile phones. I, I started a pirate radio station when I was 16. Um, and, you know, that got me into a bit of trouble. But equally, I made a lot of money from that because... What a lot of people don't realize is that as, as the manager or owner of a radio station, every other person that comes onto your station pays you what is called the sub cost, right? Which is usually 10 or 20 pounds. Um, but, you know, and even if you're only on for Thursday to Sunday and you're on 24 hours a day, you're making, as a 16-year-old, more money than you can probably spend. Um, my mother found some money underneath my bed. It was quite a large amount of money. And I remember, like, slapping me in the face and asking me where that had come from. 
Um, and, it, you know, I, I explained to her that it wasn't, I wasn't selling drugs or anything. It come from the radio station. Um, and, you know, I think my, she was quite surprised that there was that much money. My father was, um, I think he was joyful. Right? I mean, you know, the fact that I was making money, I, you know, I wasn't the easiest child to bring up. I, and, and I was suspended from school uh, at the age of nine for selling newspapers. Those newspapers had had topless models on the center page. Uh. Um, and, and, and I went to, uh, and I went to, uh, you know, a private, you know, very like posh school, which I was very fortunate to go to, um, who took uh, a very huge disliking to the fact that I was selling legal. I was buying them myself. Right? It wasn't illegal to go to the petrol station and buy these papers, but I was buying them for 30 P and selling them for 150. Uh, and they, even at nine years old, I didn't need the money. Right? My dad and my parents, my, you know, would have given me anything I wanted at that age. Uh, but there was something inside me that decided that that was the right thing to do. And, um, you know, that for me is quite indicative of someone who, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that every, every entrepreneur will have done something similar, but, you know, to be an entrepreneur, and you said this quite well at the start of this interview is that you can, anyone can be an entrepreneur. You can do whatever you want, provided you put the mind to it. Right. And I think the difference between someone who's an entrepreneur and someone that isn't is the fact that you are you've accepted that this is what you want to do, and then you end up going to do it. And then that turns that, that transition from existing environment, which it can be for a lot of people quite comfortable. Right? Like I've spoken to countless people, friends of mine who have all work in big corporates, you know, earn very high salaries, who all dream of being an entrepreneur, but because they're so caught up in the security that corporates offer, which are, you know, they've got the, the paycheck, they've got the health benefits, they might have dentists, they might have, you know, and then, and then the concept of starting a business where, well, hold on a minute, I'm not earning anything for a couple of years. And actually I might not ever earn anything ever, right? I'm going to put a huge amount of money into something. Uh, I'm going to give it a go and nothing might come out the back of it. And remember that most businesses that start fail, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't start it. Right. And so, you know, I've always sat in the camp of, I don't want to ask myself a what if I want to make sure that I do everything I can that's in my power to, to, you know, to know what could have been is, and, you know, I've, I've like even recently, and again, something else that we can talk to, but, you know, my, my fiance is a singer and, you know, we've created um, a, a platform, a record label, so to speak, that sits around all of what she needs to do. You know, I was never in this business to, to turn into the next Jay-Z or, or Rockefeller or whatever it may be, or Bad Boy, but I was, um, I'm literally, I've created a vehicle for her to now really monetize and, and think about the opportunities that exist outside of, um, you know, conventions. And, and that really for me is, uh, you know, the difference between someone who is uh, working for someone and will always work for someone or someone who's going to do something for themselves and drive forward. Um, so to your, to, uh, you know, in summary and conclusion to your, your question, can you be, uh, can you learn to be an entrepreneur? Um, I think you can. Can anyone be an entrepreneur? Yes, I agree with you. Anyone can be an entrepreneur, provided, and this is this is you know what separates uh, people is you need to have self-discipline. You need to have self-drive, and you need to really want it. Right? You need to give yourself or allow yourself the understanding and the sacrifice of what you have to then think about what you need. 
Well said. Well said. I think what I always try to tell people is that starting your own business is so hard at the beginning, but in fact, actually mm. over time gets easier, especially as you can hire good people. Mm. But actually when Definitely. you work with someone else, it's really easy at the beginning, but gets harder over time as you know, the management change and don't, don't like you as much anymore. Don't appreciate the mm. previous hours you've done and so on. It actually gets harder over time. So it's uh, but it's, it's true. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a persistence issue, isn't it? It's, are you willing to, to mm. have the pain now for the gain later? And, and as we all know from yeah. a million inspirational quotes, a lot of people aren't yeah. willing to do the pain at the beginning, right? So, but I'm, I'm fascinated by, by the relationship piece for you. For you, I mean, there, there's, two, there's two relationships I want to explore. One is the relationship with your mother. It sounds like she was a counterbalance to your father there. Um, was she also mm. an entrepreneur? And then, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about your wife? I mean, how, did, how does she see the entrepreneurial world? Is she also, as a singer, I actually see her as an entrepreneur. Do you see her as an entrepreneur? And, and, and if so, how does the dynamic work between you? Sure. So my mother was never in, she, she was never a businessman initially, right? She was uh, a businesswoman. Um, she was uh, a housewife initially. She, you know, married my father, um, had four children of which I was number two. I'm number Built, two as well, uh, by the way. So that's, yeah. you know, that's why we're getting on so well. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> we know that problem. And, um, you know, I remember a point, my father was, uh, he wasn't a big saver, right? Like he was always living in the moment. And um, my mother, without him realizing, was was hoarding cash. She was saving it. And it just transpired later in life that they desperately needed money. And my mother pulled out this box and my dad was like, where on earth have you got that money from? And my mother had, had you know, secretly been, you know, building this up in, in, in a, behind the scenes. And it was just like the story that they tell around that was beautiful. Um, and my mother now, by the way, is probably the, the breadwinner in the family, right? So, so she, my father is taking, she, he now works for my mum, right? My mum is, uh, you know, a super strong woman who is running, you know, a bunch of different things. Um, and, she is a bit of a bull breaker. Like she's, she's, she's great. Uh, but as mothers go, like, you know, the thing about my mom is that she is, she's always put us first, right? Like all parents, right? But, but when I say put us first, my parents didn't come from anything in Kenya. And so what I do is bust the land that they always dreamt of. And the challenge with that, unfortunately, is, you know, two things happen when, when you get given things at a young age, you get spoiled and you lose your drive or, you know, you've always had a drive and you end up doing it anyway, but you just don't do the stuff that they want you to do. Um, and I think I was definitely the latter. And so, you know, my mother now is, you know, extremely busy. I actually have to tell her to slow down because she's, it's worrying how much she has on her plate and she doesn't know how to relinquish. That's part of, that's the biggest issue. If I was to describe the biggest problem that both of my parents face is that they, um, they are excellent at running businesses, they're very bad at delegating. Mm. And the thing is, is that you need, when it comes to building a business, and I, I learned this firsthand with my brother, is that, you know, secret sales only got to like 50 million in sales because we, we really started of people who were better than us in every capacity and they drove the business forward. Um, and my parents are just control freaks and that's not uncommon, right? A lot of entrepreneurs are control freaks. Mm. Um, my fiance, w when I met her, um, she doesn't, and she didn't see herself as an entrepreneur, but I totally did. 
right? And she's got a lot of drive. She's very creative and she's amazing at what she does. And her name is Bambi Baines. And, you know, for anyone that is, um, is wanting to go and listen to her stuff, she's actually just released a song under our, uh, management, which is called Big Bounce, and um, it's it's like Bambi Baines, it's B A I N S, and her song is Retro Rari, and and like you know it's done phenomenally well in a very short period of time, and she's got this big plan moving forward, and you know she's really ambitious and is driving forward, and I'm I'm proud, you know, it, like helping her succeed makes me very happy, right? And the other thing is is that I'm I, um, I'm 11 years her senior, so I am I would love to have a family. Right. I'd love to have a bunch of rugrats running around and, um, you know, doing what all of my other friends are doing. But I've, I've decided that I'm happy to sacrifice that, provided that she feels that she's giving everything that she's got to this. Because, you know, going back to our point about entrepreneur and doing things because they have to do it, right, is, you know, she's got an opportunity now, I, the way I see it, to really do well. And I don't want her in 10 years' time to turn around and be like, well, what if I didn't do that? Or what if I didn't give that a go, you know? And if, and if I forced her to have children now or I encouraged her, I would never force her, but if I encouraged her to have children now, um, you know, she will in 10 years time, you know, look back and think what if. And also she'll probably resent me because I would have taken a, a, an opportunity away from her. And so what I'm doing is I'm compromising my future, my happiness of having a family because I want her to be happy. I want her to give everything that she's got to this opportunity. And if it works, great, right? Like, you know, we both win. And if it doesn't, then we'll just have a, a fleet of babies after that and it'll be amazing. Um, but at least that way, we know that we've given the, the opportunity everything that it was capable of. And, uh, you know, we can then move on to the next thing. I've just got kind of like, um, what's the word? Hand, my hand hairs just stood up on end because of, you know, the emotion of what you're saying. I think I want my listeners to pick up on something really, really important here. Mm. Love is such an amazing thing that if you really love someone, your own happiness will, will come second. You fill your own bucket up first. We all know those sayings, right? But this, this dedication to when you have true love, to, to mm. making the other person have exactly what they deserve based on their talent and their love and their passion, I think this is so important. And you've, you've spoken about your mother and, and, and your partner there. And I think that what I, what I always say is that I'm only successful today because I found the right partner in life. Right. That, that is why that. I'm successful. There's no other, that's the only deal I've ever done as well. You know, I, we, we literally kissed and I gave her half of everything I've got and she gave me half of everything she's got and that's it. There's no contract. There's no terms of sale. There's nothing. It's just total, utter trust. And I wish we could get back to those sorts of deals in life because I, I hate lawyers. Mm -hmm. But the, the whole, um, you know, the whole beauty of that, that, that dedication you have where you're, you're willing to make sacrifices and 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 i know if your wife's listening you know i i i think it's very important to understand it's it, 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 there's an element of like you know what is our life going to look like and we have no pre-recorded version of what it looked like it should look like we always go with the flow right you try this and see how it works if, if you know and if you folk you don't want to have regrets that's for sure you don't want to not try to to yeah. pursue that music career if you've got a talent like bambi sounds like she's got by the way we'll put all the links to her and your record label in in this broadcast anyone wants to get access and have a listen they'll be able to just click below but um, but I've, i think it's really important this love thing i always say to entrepreneurs and i would love to, your opinion on this if you get your partner partnership right in life whatever whether that's your co-founder which was your brother i'd like to discuss that in a minute or your actual life partner right then everything else actually gets a lot easier yeah i mean the, you know that, that saying behind every man is, is a stronger woman 
for me is probably one of the, the, the most accurate statements that exists because I know that without her here, my, my drive would be on very different things mm. and probably very selfish uh, motivations, which is what it's always been like, you know, for, for my whole career, I focused on creating value for myself and value uh, in the success of money, but also in reputation. And, um, you know, I've like, I've, I'm a high dreamer. I, I have a lot of really big ambitions and I, I, I have a way of sort of funneling the, that energy and focus, which I think we should probably talk about at some point because it's, um, you know, I'm really in it. Um, but I'm sort of just, uh, you know, I want, I want the best for myself. I want the best for her. And I think that it's really important. I've changed since I've, you know, had, uh, someone who I know I want to spend the rest of my life with, you know, and, and that for me, my, my vision for success, what I benchmark as success and what I want in life, all of that's very different to, you know, pre Bambi. Right. So, um, it's it's it, it's a very organic, very uh, beautiful transition. One that I didn't see coming, I have to be, admit, um, but one that I'm I'm very happy has has come and and I guess matured me into someone that uh, I'm I'm still sort of building. I like what you're saying there about um, um, let's say being selfish, which somehow sounds sounds negative. I think for people listening, this is actually very important. There's stages in life, right? And I think when you're young and trying to discover who you are and what you want out of life, I think people should be selfish. You know, you should not do what your parents necessarily ask you to do. You should do what feels right for you. If going to university is right for you, then go. If you don't, I think the selfish thing is is given a little bit of a bad rap, as if it's a negative yeah. thing. And I and I um I love the fact that you're mentioning it, and I love the fact you're talking about stages because I think that's true. Mm. I mean, I, when, I, when I met my wife, my, I had exactly the same feeling. We actually started a business together and then worked together for 10 years. And it was, I, I got to know her working with her. This is the other thing. Mm. I think working with your partner is also a way of I, – when I work with people, you find out about their moral code. You find out about sure. their ethics. You know, people can't hide it in business, especially if you're in partnership together. They just, and that's a wonderful – like moving in with someone, right? Like when you move in with someone, you Definitely. discover all these things about them. I'm sure when you started working with Bamba, you fell in love even more if you get that right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like outside of how beautiful she is, I didn't know she was a singer until much later. Right. So that just really solidified, you know, my uh, desire to want to sort of, you know, progress our relationship because she was super talented. Um, but as long as you fall in love for the right reasons and provided that you, you know, what's really important when it comes to finding someone who's going to support you in life is you've got to make each other better people. Right. And you've got to actually raise each other's bars. So, you know, if I, as a unit, you know, if, if you're with your partner, whoever he or she may be, and if you, if you look at, you know, yourself as, as a couple and as a unit, if you're not better together, right. And you're not making each other stronger. Uh, then for me, you know, I, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's what I look for. Right. Is I look for, is she making me a better person? Is, are we better together? Uh, do I have qualities that she needs help with? Um, and you know, if you then it's like my father always said this, this thing where, you know, you can break one pencil, right? But if you put two together or three together and try to snap them, you're not going to be able to do that. And so, you know, you, I look at the team of me and, and Bambi as, you know, being a stronger unit and, um, without doubt, 
you know, there are things that she teaches me daily and I hope that vice versa, she feels the same takeaway. Um, and, you know, beneath all of this, we are, have a lot of fun, right? It's a, it's a very, you know, loving relationship. There's, there's a lot of giggles and, um, you know, she, uh, she's just a really good human being. Fun is not used enough in business, isn't it? I think that word's mm. so powerful and so underrated. It's, you know, it's such a great word. If you have fun in your business and you enjoy the journey, it almost doesn't matter what the outcome is. Definitely, definitely. And I also love the point you're talking about with this word stages where, you know, your mother who was a housewife and, and, and that stage of, you know, when you're growing up, she was there for you. And then she probably learned from your father and learned from you guys. And then she steps forward almost and, and into her own light as it were, and, and starts, you know, being the, the, the business person that she is today. That that's also very inspiring. I think important for people to you know see that, that yeah, like I, I would say um, I have a similar experience. My, my wife was always behind me, helping me make, um, fluid which I sold to PwC work wouldn't have worked without her but now she's actually stepped forward she's got her own business now and she's a wonderful mother and you know I, I almost see her like she's stepped into the light and it's her turn and I have a, a friend who um, they have a partnership where every three years they swap roles so one mm. stays home and the other goes and tries to make something happen and then they swap it's kind of interesting dynamic isn't it sure well I think you know my mother for example probably always had it in her to be an entrepreneur but put her family first and then only, you know, when we were of age was able to then start doing the things that she perhaps wanted to always do. And now she's succeeding, uh, in, in all of those. Um, so it's just nice. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's never over, right? If you feel like you've had children or if you feel like you've had barriers in life and things that have always held you back, there's never a bad time to do something positive or to start a business or, you know, uh, there's always a million reasons as to why you shouldn't start a business. Uh, and that tends to be that you have your existing liabilities and what, what if it doesn't work and all of that stuff. Um, so the best time to start a business is now. And, um, you know, I think my mother is a really good example of that. Completely agree. It, it's an amazing story um, that when you um, built up Secret Sales. And, and, and for my listeners out there, you know, who, who are perhaps starting at zero, how did you get it to zero to 10 people? And then, I mean, again, for my listeners that have existing businesses that are you know, doing well, but they can't grow them. Um, how did you get it from 10 to 115? How did you grow the business? What, any, any particular points in there that you think are worth sharing? Yeah, so, so it was 150 that we got to. It was even more than that at one point. But the, like, when it comes to building a business, there is the approach that you adopt when it's like startup, real startup, which basically means you have to do everything. And you've got to really just hustle your way through all the different areas. And, you know, one thing I think is important to take away from uh, being an entrepreneur is you don't need to know everything, right? A lot of people think, oh, I can't start this because I've no idea. Really, you just need to throw yourself into the deep end and you will find a way to, to, to stay afloat. That's just how it is. And you learn on the job and you make an incredible number of mistakes and you will ultimately find a way through. If you want it enough, it'll work. And, um, you know, when we were, when we were 22, 23, when we started this business, I mean, I can assure you that I knew nothing, right? And I'd gone to Manchester University, you know, I wasn't a stupid child, but I also, um, I hated being told what to do. And I wasn't good in class because of, of that. And I was sort of, you know, I would only do stuff because I wanted to do it. So my teachers would always ask Satch, um, oh, sorry, they would say to my parents, you know, he's, he's one of the brightest kids we've, we, we've taught, but he just doesn't want to work. And, um, it's because 
I wasn't doing it for myself. And it wasn't until I started secret sales and, you know, the, the days at university when no, there was no one breathing down my neck when I was like, well, I'm actually doing this for me, which is why I was great at university you know, and secret sales launched six months after. And, you know, I just hustled my way through it and did everything I could to try and get it off the ground. My brother was instrumental as well in credit to him because he was, um, he's my elder brother of a year and eight months. His name is Nish. And he's uh, actually, he's just started a non-alcoholic drinks business called Zio. Um, which you can find called fieldzio.com. We'll put the link uh, in the broadcast as well. Yeah, non-alcoholic yeah. drink. It's, it's, non, it's, it's, it's like non-alcoholic gin, vodka, whiskey. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when he started Secret Sales with me, we're both very different. Despite being brothers, our personality traits are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Right? I'm super extroverted. I'm a risk taker. I'm very intuitive. He is very considered um you know doesn't have a huge amount of intuition and uh will always want to evaluate circumstances mathematically um and what that resulted in was a combined effort and output right so there was never what i wanted was never what he wanted it was a mixture of both and that's really why i think the early days of secret sales worked because we were taking a very medium view on our decision making um and what we did is we hired uh, like one uh, uh, developer engineer who basically hacked everything for us, whatever we needed, he hacked it. And we then hired um, a girl from South Africa. Her name was Kara. She came in as a copywriter. And, you know, as the team grew, everyone took more and more responsibility within the business. You've got to hire people who are willing to do more than do their job description in the early days. And, you know, you then get it to a point where, um, you know, people are, they show their true colors. Like Cara became, she went from copywriter to my buyer, my first ever buyer, to then the best buyer that anyone in the industry saw within our flash sale market and was then poached by my competitor and I poached her back because I was angry that they took her in the first place. And, you know, there was all this stuff that happened. Um, but there were, there were transitions that take place, right? There, there was a point, I think, at 25 people where you, you suddenly realize that there was a cultural shift and then that same shift happens at 75 people where it becomes, you know, it's no longer a family at 75 people. It's, it's, it, you're starting to turn into a bit of a corporate. There, there are processes in place and hires that take place and things that you do that, you know, you're not involved in. Like I, there was a moment in time when we were sort of at 140 odd people or 130 people, 2015. Uh, I was still sort of, you know, like in turning 30, uh, if that. And, um, and uh, I was having, like, the only way for me to know all of the people that were joining the business was I would have a weekly breakfast meeting with all of the new hires, right? So, like, I would take them for breakfast, and I would introduce myself, and they would introduce themselves, and there would always be three or four every two or three weeks. Huh. Um, and it was growing at a rapid pace. And I was just like, there was, a, there was a problem for me, I remember, in 2016, when I didn't know everyone's name, right? And that, for me, was like, ah, this is no longer my little baby, and I had a bunch of institutional investors who were all fantastic in their own right, but equally troublesome uh, because we were being pulled in various directions. And, um, you know, I was learning on the job. I, I still didn't know what I was doing, how I was doing it. And, you know, I was, I was at one point also, I became really sort of arrogant, right? I was like, I was a young boy. I was, you know, making a lot of money. I had a business that was valued at, you know, like several million, like, you know, tens of. And um, 
we were we we were the talk of the town within the fashion industry um and as a mid sort of you know mid to late 20s boy i can assure you that i wasn't a very good human being at that point i don't think if i look back i was you know quite arrogant and i was um you know i sort of i i thought the world was mine and i was going to take it um and i think what happened later in life uh you know i made a bunch of we got the business to a point where people wanted to buy it but we were then really damaged by what happened with brexit like that was the biggest thing in my business career that damaged us that was a macro influence that had no control over what we did mm. it was done by you know the wider population and you know we that was an awful experience for me and that you know that process when it came to selling business brought me back down to earth i can assure you that i was really i i i ended that with a desire to never want to sell a business again because it was an awful process um but i really changed as a person i think that i i i you know went from this sort of very very sort of you know i guess opinionated man to someone who i mean i was always opinionated i still am opinionated but i'm just i'm just not arrogant anymore right uh and it takes a shift in your experience to do that and that experience for me was one that i will never forget um and his brought me up you know developed it's impacted how i behave how i who i am i'm grateful for that experience by the way you know i i look back at it and i'm you know whilst i despise an aspect of um i definitely feel that as a human being i'm i'm a better person because of it and so you know i take the good with the bad again there's just so many i could just sit back and listen to your story all day and i've got to remember i'm supposed to be hosting this and asking questions but i could just listen to you because i, I think i'm nodding non-stop to everything you're saying and i, and I just don't want the audience to miss anything in uh, by, by listening to the story they might miss the learning and i think you know, one element is um, what you're saying there my view is some up of is like bad luck is good luck you know you, you've had moments that at the time were probably like you're talking about with brexit awful but somehow yeah. it's made you a better person, and it's it's, and I think that's really important for people to listen to, especially right now where everyone is having some sort of pain, whether it's just mm. having to stay at home when they don't want to, and and so on, and not being able to travel. But you know, somehow there is there is benefit in the pain, right? Definitely, and you don't, it, you know, it, you definitely don't see it at the time. Um, but you, know, I have, and everyone does you know evolve with time you know the, your brain is the only muscle or the only thing in the whole world that gets better the more you use it right everything else gets worse <laughs> including all of your other organs right your brain is the only thing obviously come a certain point in time that obviously diminishes but your brain is the only thing and this is something else that my dad always taught me that you know that if the more you use the better it's going to get okay. and um there were points in my life where i've re i've actually noticed within myself a shift but it takes a life-changing moment for me to experience that. And I think, you know, people shouldn't discount uh, the hardships that they get because, you know, again, all of these sort of phrases that are sort of, you know, far and few between and, you, you know, uh, what doesn't break you makes you stronger. Like you listen to this, this statement, you're like, oh, well, that's just BS. Well, I mean, no, it's not BS, but it doesn't mean anything to you. It's a bit you. like it's good to you fail. Know? You're kind of like, why would it be good to <laughs> fail? You know, initially these yeah. things don't make any sense, do they? Yeah, and that's why most really successful entrepreneurs have failed two to three times before they, they make it. And in fact, I, I would argue that personally, I can say if I hadn't failed, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah, 
exactly. And I also think that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. If you have the right partner, they also push your brain. Like my, my wife taught me uh, about the subconscious and, and made me realize that I was making decisions based on, you know, things I'd observed in the world that weren't real, weren't true. And so, you know, I think that that's, again, where your partner uh, comes into play um, and, and, has a, and has a role to play in, in developing your brain. Definitely. And I think, you know, what's really helped me over the years, I keep referring back to my father and my mother, right? Because this, they are who molded me. One thing my father always said to me was, you should, um, he, he asked me, like my, my parents are quite religious, we're Hindu, right? And, and like, he got more religious with age. He was never religious as he was younger, but got more religious with age. He asked me, you know, do you pray? I said, no, I don't really pray. I must have been about seven or eight years old at this point. And, um, and sorry, I'm looking at your camera and your camera. Yeah, don't worry. We're, we're on you. Okay. As long as you keep talking, okay. we would have been all right. Don't worry. We're, we're just at the stage anyway. Our camera, uh, uh, had a problem. Okay. No problem. And the screen okay. also needs clicking. So, so my father said, do you pray? And I was like, no, I don't really pray. And I, and I, I didn't know why he was asking me that question or what he intended by that. But you know, the way that I have interpreted religion, uh, is based on the concept of positivity and energy, right? So it's not necessarily about, you know, like the higher being is essentially the energies that exist within this universe. Um, and there are things that you can explain, things that you can't explain. Essentially, the concept of positivity, like as a Hindu, we, we believe in reincarnation, right? So you, you are... You, you, your body is just a vehicle and your soul is the energy. And when you reincarnate, the reason why we don't bury you reincarnate is because, you know, you can't, you can't destroy energy. You can only transfer energy, right? So your energy as a human right now, I can, I have kinetic energy. I have heat energy. I've, I have all sorts of energy that I'm constantly, you know, taking in and, and, and pushing out. When you, when you cremate, you are burning, you're creating heat and light energy that then goes back into the world. And that's why you then, you know, present the ashes into the Ganges or wherever it is so that it goes back into the soil and la la la. Now, you know, I'm not a super, super uber religious person, but what I've, my interpretation of all of this was, you know, using that positivity as a way to focus on what I want in life. And so every night before I go to bed, I will, you know, I will pray, but my form of prayer is not the same as other people's. Right? My form of prayer is, you know, really visualizing what I want in life, what I, I was visualizing meeting my partner before I met her, right? I was trying to think about like, you know, who is it? That, what is the type of person that I want to meet? And what does she look like? What does she do? You know, and when it came to business, what type, you know, I'm grateful. I would always be grateful in his prayers, but I'd also really think about what I want. And what people don't realize is that your brain, you know, has, you have a subconscious, which is so powerful that it works in itself when you are asleep. And if you, if you focus your mind on uh, a vision and you allow your subconscious to work on it, like you, without realizing you will be making the steps to, to get to that point. Right. And the universe is such that if you want something enough, it'll give it to you. You've just got to really want it and you've got to fight for it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I love this insight. I, no, I, I want... re... Please go ahead. Sorry. I think there's a slight delay then. Go ahead. Sorry. 
Like, yes, I mean, everything that I've, I've achieved in life has been driven through this concept of visualization through the subconscious. And, and whether you call it praying, whether you call it anything else, like call it what you will, right? I mean, for me, that's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, through the hardest times, you know, positivity and, and that faith of knowing that you can get through it or at least focusing on, you know, even imagining life, like, like, you know, take the current circumstance right now, you know, there's so much really messed up with the world, ignoring what's just happened with America and people, you know, storming uh, the, the, the Capitol building um, versus, you know, COVID and all of the, the unfortunate bereavements around the world. You know, there's a lot of really positive things that you could probably create for yourself. And, Sometimes you don't know what they are. Sometimes you just want there to be positivity. And then actually that's a really good starting point, right? Maybe you just need to allow your brain in the subconscious before you go to bed. Just try to think about some, some things that you want to achieve in your life or, you know, things that you want, milestones. And, you know, it doesn't happen immediately, but I can assure you that everything that I have visioned uh, in my subconscious has happened. Uh, and I'm a firm believer in that, you know, and call that, whatever you will. Um, I am just one that, you know, it will always see the, the glass half full and will want to use that as a way to, um, to drive my ambition, Bambi's ambition, anyone else that sits around me, I'll, I will uh, do my, my best to, you know, shine light on that. It's, it's just so many great insights in, in what you've just talked about. And I think, you know, I wonder where to, to kind of break it down i don't want again my audience to miss any of these things i think part of what you're talking about just explain it a different way maybe it'd be useful to my audience is that you know what you surround yourself with for example if you consume media that's negative it will make you negative if you're surrounded by people that are positive it will make you positive and so yeah. that that energy from other people and other forms of communication will affect you and equally your own mind is so powerful it's all about controlling your own mind right so I'm an atheist, but that, that does not mean I don't believe in religion. I am open to all religions. It's actually what it means. I don't want to, um, I'm not saying any religion is bad or, or any religion is good. I think all religion has an element in it that is good, which is, you know, be kind to people, be nice, be genuine. You know, all of the religions generally preach that, but of course they can get abused and those, those lines can get blurred and, you know, right and wrong and what is right and what is wrong and all those things. But, you know, I go to bed every night and pray myself in a way. I pray, I say, I'm grateful that I've got a beautiful three-year-old boy, a wonderful yeah. wife who I love and loves me. I'm grateful for my experiences, you you know, and, and, I, and I don't go to bed with the, the news playing telling me about how awful the world is, you know, and I think that does make a huge difference to your subconscious, which is, as Definitely. you just described, making us breathe right now. It's making us mm. listen or not listen right now. Our subconscious is making decisions for us without us even thinking about it. And the more sure. you put into that subconscious that's positive, the more mm. positive things that will happen, right? Definitely. That's how I sum up what you're saying. And there was a couple of things I wanted, I didn't want to miss that you were talking about as well. Um, a lot of people ask us about culture when they're building their businesses. I mean, I always have mm. this thing. I actually think it's easier to run a big company than a small company. I always loved the four, five, six people size company because it was like a family. I found mm. 
30, 40 people really tough because you couldn't really afford, depending on the business, of course, but in my business, you couldn't really afford middle management. But as you get up mm-hmm. to the 100, you can start to have really incredible people in your business and it actually gets easier. Is that yeah. true? Do you think is my view on the world true or, or do you have a different view? So, so we hired a C-suite, so a chief commercial officer, a chief financial officer, chief marketing officer. These were people who were being paid you know, six digit salaries. Um, I was paying them a lot more than I was paying myself. And, um, and they were significantly older and more wiser and more experienced. And they ran the business, right? Like I basically watched them take the business from a 30 million pound business to a 50 million pound business. And I basically did nothing. Um, and it was beautiful. Those were the days when I became arrogant, by the way, is because I was like, I'm making, yeah, I'm doing all this amazing stuff, but I'm not actually doing anything. But you learned Um, a very important tool that you mentioned earlier. You'd learned delegation, which I think is what keeps a lot of businesses small. They're not willing to delegate. And so, yeah, yeah, keeping humble while delegating is pretty interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, the way I would run a business now is different to how I'd run a business back then. But, you know, I needed that to, knowledge and to experience but um it's quite hard because i was like i remember i I was responsible for everything that was the buying side of secret sales secret sales is an online fashion company right and it's very different now to what it was before before it was a flash sale company we would host you know 20 to 30 different sales per day each sale would only last for four days and we would work with 1600 different brands and you would everything would be up to 70 percent off so it was like a biscuit village online but with time limited sales um, what it is now is it's more like a, like a, a like a, uh, it's a marketplace, right? So it's almost like a far fetch, but for outlets. So it's a discounted model and it's a very different concept and it's changed since I sold it. Um, but when I was running the business, I had, I was in, in, in charge of all the commercial sites so or everything that we were buying, everything that we were selling, all the negotiations, all of the, uh, so I negotiated all the deals. I was the one that signed all the contracts. I was the one that, you know, in the first few years we had no brands. And then within two years I had 300 brands that I had found a way to, to work with us and who had contracts. I remember going to Diesel and um, basically telling Diesel, oh, Replay's just signed up. And then I went to Replay and said, oh, Diesel's just signed up. Neither of whom I'd spoken to previously, but then all of a sudden I've got two of the leading denim contracts, right? So it was... Um, I'm not telling anyone that they should do things like that, but that I, I had to make it work. Well, right? you know, and, um, I just wanted to inject on this point here because I think what you're talking about is hustle, of course. And I mm. always think hustle is a brilliant word. It's also a negative word, hustle. But what you're talking about there mm. is hustle. And I always say, and I know this is where, where, how you're thinking about this. When you, you can say things if they become true. So I think when mm. people say something like they've got diesel, but you never get diesel on board then that's, mm. that's a problem. But if you know you're going to get diesel on by saying uh, to rely, you've got them and vice versa, it's again a bit like you were saying earlier, you speak it, you make it real, you believe it. Correct. You're not selling Correct. anything that isn't true. And I think that's when hustle is a positive word. Hustle is a negative word if people are selling something that isn't going to happen. That is a lie. Definitely. They know it's Definitely. a lie. That's different. But I think what you just said, to me, that's not a lie. To me, that's a sales approach that everyone should employ. I've done it too. Yeah. I've, I've said to, I got CNN as a client. They asked me, have you got the 25 people you need to work on this contract? I'm like, absolutely. Of course I have. I didn't yeah. have them in-house yeah. ready to go. But in my mind, as soon as they signed that contract, I know the 25 people I'm going to hire. But they didn't want to hear that. If I told them sure. that, I wouldn't have got the contract. It's kind of, you know, so what you're talking about is a very important nuance of entrepreneurship there. But sorry, I interrupted you. But yeah. can, can no, we... no, 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 that's fine. And, and I guess the point is, is that, you know, 
we've got all these contracts. I managed the team of, you know, uh, 15 buyers who were senior buyers. Then beneath them, there was about seven, you know, uh, buyers. Then beneath them, there was junior buyers. Then beneath them, there was assistant buyers and so forth. So there was probably around 25 of us, maybe 30 of us, who I, I had direct reports of. And um, one of the hires that I made when I hired the C-suite was a chief commercial officer. And she came in from Thomas Pink. Uh, her name was Melanie. And it was a very, it was the hardest hire for me because what I was essentially doing is I was replacing myself. Mm. Right? I was, I, the, she was going to do my job. And I was still sort of sub 30. Um, but I, you know, I built the business. We were growing at 70% year on year. Uh, we, were, we were getting brands left, right, and center. Everything was working. But the problem was, the honest truth is that my investors thought that I was too young or inexperienced and we were getting too big. And so they wanted some, some, some experience within the, the, the buying. Um, and I was still learning how to govern boards and how to manage my investors, which I think in the early days I was, I was pretty bad at. Um, and so that hire for me when I was hiring the C-suite was great in its entirety because suddenly the business went from, you know, like we just accelerated and we started doing some really wonderful things, you know, uh, but the hardest hire was that chief commercial officer. Cause I was like, I'm basically making myself redundant. And I was very aware of that. Um, but you know, it was the right thing at the time, you know, was it the right thing for the business in the long term? It's, it's debatable. Um, but I learned from her, right? And my view was, I need to learn. I'm, I don't know everything. I can't pretend to know everything. I need to, I need to bring, bring in people who are better than me and are going to teach me. And I basically, you know, while she was reporting into me, so to speak, I was not really, it wasn't, didn't feel like that. I felt like I was almost reporting to her to, to, to a certain extent because I was, um, constantly rather than telling her what to do i was constantly just you know questioning and challenging rather than directing mm. and um you know it was an eye-opening experience for me but one this whole piece about delegating you've got to do it for the right reasons and as a ceo of a business you also need to know what your ceiling is right you also need to know well i've got the business to 20 million or 30 million or whatever it may be but am i the right ceo to take yeah. it to 200 million because usually zero, that's zero to one is is the hardest thing to do Actually, I yeah. think zero to one is what most people can't do. So if you can do that, sometimes it's good to focus on it. I'm always in admiration. I don't like him, but in admiration of Mark Zuckerberg, being able to take it from yeah. zero to what it is today, you know, and I think he's actually struggling, Crazy. I, would, I would say. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, it's definitely an interesting thing to know your bracket and know what you're at. There's mm. something else here. I just, again, I'm always scared that my listeners might miss the point, very important point you're making, which is, as well, there's two things. You said earlier in the podcast about how, um, you know, you don't need to know something to go and build a business, which is so, mm. so true. So many people say, I'll go work for a company for a couple of years and then I'll learn the whatever agency world or I'll learn from NASA and then do space. You know, you can hire the people to teach you to do these things or do the things that you don't know how to do. And you can do what mm. you just talked about, which is challenge, learn, absorb. But you need to have incredible, you need to be incredibly 
aware of your weaknesses to hire people to replace you for example a lot of people self-sabotage that i've done that myself mm. i consider myself a salesperson I'm, and i love sales i know sales is a dirty word mm-hmm. i've loved building businesses through sales i love if you do sales right it's a relationship builder you can build friends for life as i have done through sales it's not a car salesman thing you know i don't think that's necessarily the right way to sell is just get something out of people sales is a relationship thing and i love sales but i've tried to hide sales people and i and in a way i've self-sabotaged it because they're never going to mm. be as good as me so i'm always like yeah. showing them how to do it instead of letting them make their own mistakes and and so you know when you hire yeah. that cmo that's that's a really difficult step because you're also realizing yeah. hold on a minute i might get shoved out of my own company here yeah yeah and actually you know is around 70 percent sales right because you need to sell not just yourself but your business and everything that you're doing you need to be you know a salesperson right you need to be really you need to have the ability to sell your vision and even as a ceo uh, if you can't sell the vision of the business, if you can't sell, the, you know, have a vision in, in the first place and then articulate that in, the, in a manner that actually, you know, creates the right level of motivation for your team and also the ability to attract the right level of external investors, uh, you know, your business is not going to go anywhere. So being a salesperson, by the way, you know, shouldn't be a dirty word. It's absolutely mandatory in my eyes. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. I, I, I was probably making myself redundant, but you know, I always think about this and my brother and I speak about it occasionally. You know, should we have drafted in a CEO earlier um, who could have taken the business to hundred million instead of 50 million? And probably the answer is yes, right? Like if we bought in a CEO, cause we were advertising on TV, we, we, we had sponsored friends on Comedy Central, we had sponsored Simpsons on Channel 4, we were, advertising on homelands, you know, we were spending stupid money on TV adverts, but we were growing like anything. And, you know, at that point we probably should have thought, right, well, let's just, we, you know, I care about shareholder value rather than the massive paycheck that I was getting. Whereas I was at the, the problem was I was still, I was arrogant. I wanted the paycheck, right? I wanted to go out into the West end and have these lavish dinners and all of this stuff. Um, and, um, I wasn't, thinking about the long-term picture well enough. And I think uh, that was probably a big mistake of mine was to not maybe bring in the right level of expertise earlier to just say to the board, I think it's time. Um, but you don't know, at that to- point, you don't know what you don't know. A lot of my listeners are like this. In a way, yeah, you don't yeah, know yeah, what you don't sure. know, right? There's an element- it's unknown, unknown. Yeah. And then there's also an element here. There's a nuance here. I just want to pick up on it that you're talking about. I want to understand it. Like. The, the- you said earlier that when you hired certain C-suite three people, they were paid more than you, which mm-hmm. which I have also done. I totally relate to that. And I think a lot of people need to realize that sometimes to get good people in, you have to pay them more than you can pay yourself to get them in and get them uh, into the business to help the business grow, you know, because you've got equity. So that's worth more than the salary. But then there sounds like there was a change. Now, did this change happen when you had the investors too? It was too many investors involved and you started to feel disenfranchised and you felt you needed a salary to compensate that. Was there a change there? No, I, I think it was... It was the arrogance in me thinking that I could do it myself rather than uh, the sensible individual. Because at that point, I didn't think there was a ceiling. I, I was, I was. So you just I, felt I, like I you thought, deserved salary and equity, and but you were, well, you were well, paying I'd, yourself I'd less start, than your staff. But I'd started the business, so I'd, I had the equity. What I also did is we, you know, despite having over a hundred people, I gave everyone in the company equity. Everyone had uh, different tiers of equity. Mm. The challenge with that, and I think the, another mistake I made was a lot of people 
in the earlier entry-level roles don't care about equity because they still care about the immediate gratification of a paycheck. And it's only the senior roles that actually where it was more meaningful. And so what I should have done is rather than give 150 people equity, I should have given 10 people equity, but just more of bigger chunks. And that would have probably given me that much more uh, drive from, from the core personnel that were actually making changes within the business. Um, but we had a phenomenal like culture within the company. We had social committees that had monthly budgets to go and do bowling and swimming, uh, not swimming, bowling and cinema and putting money behind the bar. It would just be a monthly event where everyone can go and just have some fun together. You know, we would have two epic parties, uh, like I'm talking about hiring at the box and going mental, um, as well as we hired out the box twice. Uh, those were two of the best nights of my life, I think. Um, as well as, you know, uh, hiring out part of Hyde Park and turning that into like a little festival. Um, and th- so we were doing like we, we, we really gave our, our employees and staff back the love that they needed. Like, you know, we wanted everyone, yes, it, we wanted them to feel like a family, but we wanted them to all feel like they owned some of secret sales and that, you know, and that was a really beautiful thing. And something that I think I'll take into the new businesses that I'm involved in now is, you know, incentivizing correctly, but doing it in a way that, you know, gives the right level of motivation. I'm a big believer in, in, um, you know, giving equity where it's due and, uh, you know, what's really hard, I think, of what I'm concerned about is ever getting back to that level of qu- that cultural sort of experience. Because, I mean, it was just it was so beautiful. All of a sudden, by the way, when we sold the company to private equity, um, the culture changed right, almost immediately. Mm. And we never got it back. And, you know, one of the hardest things that they did, um, one, one of the hardest things that they did was they made my brother and I fire all of the key people within the business. So their view was we're buying this business. Um, you know, let's, let's stream it a little bit. And they thought that they could use their experience and, and, and team. So anyone above like a 60 or 70,000 pound pay grade was made redundant immediately. And my brother and I had to do that. And the, and some of my employees were with me for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Like one of the girls was with me for 10 years. Right. She was my first, second, second, sorry, second or third employee. And, um, and her name was Monica. She was Polish. She couldn't even speak English when she joined me. She was a cleaner, right? But I took her and her, and all of her friends who were all clean service building we were in and we gave them jobs and they stayed with us and we, we, you know, let them grow within the business. And there was a lot of love. Uh, and I, they made us, you know, make these people redundant. And I, I just, it was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do in my life. I had tears in my eyes. I had to read off, my brother had to read off a sheet. I couldn't even do it. You're making um, me feel emotional it, just talking about it. I, I, know, I know the feeling. I know just, exactly what you mean. It, awful, yeah, awful. Yeah, I mean, this is why you really brought the company bad. back, right? You realized, you know, it was, it was a wonderful thing to sell a company. And then you'd realize perhaps you'd, you sold it to the wrong people. Well, and I, and I also, well, look, there's that, but there's also, I didn't realize how beautiful the company was as a place to be, mm. um, you know, in terms of its culture and everything else. And look, you know, I, I don't look back with a heavy heart. It is what it is, right? It's a life experience. Amazing but, life experience. Was it hard to buy yeah. the company back? Well, look, I mean, the business, because of the changes, so what happened was is that these guys who bought the business they made, you know, these 50 or 60 people, whatever it was, redundant. And But it was those 50 or 60 people who made Secret Sales so successful, right? It was those people that made the company so, you know, 
like so beautifully uh, in, in, in its operations, in its environment. And so the people that were left were very entry level, uh, you know, employees and, and they didn't have the culture. They didn't have, they didn't bleed green blood is the way that we described it. And so the culture just went in one night. It went everything that, that was so beautiful about the business no longer existed. Um, and what also went was not just the culture, but the knowledge of how the business needed to be run and the contacts within the buying team and everything else. It's just insane so we that someone end- would buy a company and do that, isn't it? I just, I yeah. just can't even yeah. comprehend that that is a good strategy. Well, we also, we then went from a fifty million pound business to a thirty million pound business within the space of twelve months, and that for me was very emotional. Why right? I was like, you were still working there, right? They had they had an earn out. Based, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, the plan was, you know, transition out at some point. Um, it's hard to work under someone else. Yeah. Right. When you've been when you've been, and so that was never really the plan. But to see the company go to twenty million down. And then for them to think, well, this is not the business that we wanted to buy. And we ended up buying the company back because for me at that point, it was about legacy. It wasn't about money. Um, and then I tried, then I realized that what we had bought back was a, a problem child, right? There was a lot of issues because the people that I needed to fix it were all fired within a year and, um, or within a year before. And, uh, I then decided that we needed to plug some money. So we, you know, we were able to find some additional cash. We put some money in ourselves and we were just fortunate enough to be able to sell the company a second time round um, to two very astute entrepreneurs who were running the company now. And, but they're running it in their own way. They're doing it very differently to how we run it. And, you know, it's not the same company, but it still has, uh, the opportunity to still, you know, be a really big business and they're just going about it slightly, slightly differently to how we were. Um, I'm grateful to them for, for, for the energy and love that they're giving the business. And I, you know, for me, it still becomes something that I'm very attracted to. I, I'm attracted, you know, I want secret sales to be around in 10 years or 20 years. Like, you know, it's not about my day-to-day involvement. It's about me saying to my children or my grandchildren, look, I started that, yep. you know, and, and, um, this is another nuance that people are missing when they're talking about get rich and all this stuff. It is about legacy. It's about building a brand or a business. It, it is. is about saying, I have exactly the same yeah. feeling. I sold my company to PwC and I have a business called Nest that I've sold. I, I, I still want these companies to do well every single time. Yeah. I, I once had the PwC, head of PwC say to me, oh, you know what, Simon, you know, we bought that company off you. It's, t- it's 10 times bigger now. Are you, do you wish you'd held on to it and you could have got more? I'm like, no, I'm really happy for you. I'm really happy for mm. the business. Like there's not a single mm. moment where I think, oh, I wish I'd hold on to it and made more. I'm glad it worked. I'm glad mm. it still works, you know? And Good. I think that's something maybe some corporate people don't understand because to the corporate person's like, well, you could have got a lot more money for it, Simon, if you know. Sure. Didn't you realize yeah. you were on the cusp of something, you know, 10 times bigger than you had it? I'm like, no, I'm happy. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, you know, the, the, the gauge for success tends to be numerical, right? It's how much money have you made. But actually what people don't realize until much later in their journey is, you know, what's important to a lot of people is um, the experience, the learning, um, the takeaways, and equally, you know, what success looks like for different people. Because for me now, success is not just about money, right? Success is about my family. It's about my future. It's about different levels of ambition that I'm going to, that I'm focusing on. Whereas before when I started a company, it was like, let's make as much money as we can. Right. Whereas now it's not about let's just make as much money as we can. It's about, you know, how can I live the best life that I can live 
which is about happiness and about health and about mindfulness and about, you know, being uh, a good human being, right? That's really important to me now is how can I help other people and how can I help myself and how can I do all of this stuff um, in a way that is impactful? Yeah, I can, I, I, I love it and I can relate. And, and do you, um, can I just step back a second? There's a couple of things. I'm, I, I know we're, I'm conscious of time. There's a couple of things I want to ask you before I let you go and, and get on with your day. Um, I, I, I guess there's a, I wanted to understand your co-founder relationship with your brother. I think you mentioned mm. something very important earlier about how you had very different skills, but you sound like you had the same moral code. I do think that's a real important tip for people, you know, have different skills in your co-founder, but ideally the same moral code. But how did it start? Did you and your brother sit down and say, oh, what about this? And, and just, you know, start the business. How, a lot of people want to know how to get started, you know, the zero bit. What, what happened for you and your brother? How did yeah. that happen? So it wasn't anything to do with that. There was an opportunity. There was a company in France that was doing this, doing flash sales. Um, and with our limited knowledge within the fashion space, because of our what we've been exposed to through our father, it just resonated with us uh, on a personal level. And we then presented it to our dad. We were like, look, this is what we're thinking about doing. And he was, he didn't understand it because it's digital, right? He's, he is a bricks and mortar, um, real true, like a pure play, uh, retailer, but that's, that's sort of high street driven. Um, and he was supportive, but ultimately, you know, the op it was it was literally seeing something that didn't exist in the UK and doing it to the point that actually wasn't, you know, like I, I'm a big believer in not worrying about reinventing the wheel, mm. right? You don't need to change the world by coming up with something completely new. I mean, if you can, that's great, right? Well, there's really very few original and ideas anyway. I mean, Facebook is a copy of MySpace, MySpace is a copy of Friendster, right? There's, there's, there's no original right. idea anyway. Right, and that's the point, is that all you need to do is you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to do it better. And in a lot of cases, it becomes the marketing and the, and the positioning of your brand. So, you know, I give you an example of one, this new business that I'm trying to create, which is within the gold space, direct-to-consumer gold, um, will be in the form of gold jewellery. Right, but there's going to be a twist on it, which I don't want to talk about right now. I want it to come as a surprise when I launch it. But the point is, is you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel. What I am doing is I'm um, making it look well. It is different in 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 the way in which you purchase it, but it's um, it's still gold jewelry, right? It's still gold trading. You just you just it's I still think gold you're, you're bringing exactly. a personal element to it, and there there you go. Gold exactly. trading's been around a hundred odd years since people started digging gold out of the mines. Right. I mean, it's, it's, right. uh, it's so, but you're reinventing uh, the, the, you're not even reinventing. You're just changing the way it's traded. I, I can kind of guess the business model just listening to you. And I don't think, mm. I mean, I always think again, ideas are, are quite cheap, right? To actually go out yeah. and execute any idea is the real hard work. Right. So, yeah. but, but when you just, I just wonder, I don't want to miss the bit about with your brother. So you and your brother said, oh, here's a flash sale model that's working in France. We can do that here. You spoke to your father about it. He, he supports you, but doesn't necessarily understand it because it's a traditional retailer. Then, mm. then what do you two do? What, what's the first couple of steps for my listeners to understand? Well, well, what well, they we, had, we had a, we had a, uh, someone that worked with my father uh, and was in the rag trade for many years and him and his wife sort of joined forces with us. And we met every few weeks to just talk initially about the business, what it would need to look like. They were interested to get involved on, on a investment level. Um, but e equally operational and, uh, you know, the first six months was research, 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 
you know, what are we going to call it? What, how does the business need to work? What do we need to do? And uh, the second six months was taken building it, right? We then went to a creative agency who built the platform, who designed our logo. We had already come up with the name and, and bought that, which was Secret Sales. We were going to call it Noble Secret at, at first, mm. but Noble Secret didn't mean anything. And then, then my brother stumbles along Secret Sales and we were like, oh my God, that's gold. Mm, and we gold. bought it off an, an American business for like a couple of grand. Um, and then that was it. Like we owned the global rights to that name and, um, you trademarked it, right? Cause that's the thing a lot of yeah, people yeah, miss. Yeah, yeah, they forget for to sure. trademark it. A lot of people forget to trademark these brands. They got the URL and the company registration to forget to trademark. No, you need to trademark. But the thing is, and, and we trademarked it globally, but we didn't trademark every single country in the world. So there was, it's funny because we then had some people in, in other countries trying to sell us our own, our own name off, like out in like, I can't remember those damn China entrepreneurs. Or, or, yeah, those are, they're, they're entrepreneurs, right? They're, they're, yeah, they're yeah, they're annoying entrepreneurs, but they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and the second six months was, was spent building it, and then you know, as I said, and then I went to Italy uh, and I bought some stuff from a bunch of wholesalers that I was trying to build relationships with, and we started selling it. I mean, literally, like no idea on what on earth to do and at what point. It was just we need. This is what we want to try and do. Let's just, you know, like meander our way to the point that actually gets us live. And then when we're live, let's make, you know, let's, the key is to remain nimble, right? And to, and to acknowledge that there's a mistake and to change it quickly. Listen to the, right? market, the problem basically. is when, is when you sit on the mistake and you don't change it. It's, it's like when you, you know, the saying hire slow, fire fast, right? Mm. Which is, you know, if, if there's someone in the business, not well, I don't want to keep them in the business you want to you want to essentially as as a ceo um make the changes as quickly as possible so that you know you're effective and it's the same with running a business right is that you need to cut the fat off super fast and you need to do that effectively the the, the hard part is knowing that it's fat um and that that comes with experience and time it's interesting that higher far a higher slow fire fasting because i think i still i find that really hard to higher slow uh, that's why yeah. I, I would say bring me in at the very end because I, I meet people, I believe in them and I want to work with them and I don't know until I do what they're really going to be like. So I still hire fast, yeah. but I've learned to fire fast because it's the hardest thing in the world to let someone go, even if you've only known them a week. Sure. <laughs> still bloody hard, right? That's one of the hardest things as an entrepreneur, isn't it? But so it, it, it's, a, it's such a great story and uh, I'm, I'm really conscious. So I'm going to have to have you back on because honestly, I think I could sit here all afternoon just listening to your insights and stories. And I've, I've got so many other questions that I haven't had a chance to ask you. And, and I'm just very conscious of your time. But um, again, um, when the gold business is up and running, we'll, we'll share it. Please, t when it's ready, I, uh, I, want, I want to see Thank that you. new journey. You said something earlier about, you know, um, how you'd start a business today would be very different to how you started it before. I want to ask you that question in another podcast because I think it could be a long answer, but I think it'd be really interesting to sure. dissect, you know, the learnings. Because a big part of it, there's a lot of 20-year-olds out there starting businesses. I want to transfer mm. that knowledge to them. You're standing on the shoulders of giants like you. They can see further. They can get that knowledge now. Then, then there's yeah. all sorts of, you know, learnings that can come from, from people doing things faster, better based on your experience. I also wanted to ask you about about your radio station you said you got into trouble i really want to know what that trouble is um and and so you know we, ha we have to have you back on for that i think um, i would love to yeah i think the other thing um I, I wanted to get into education i mean you you you've you've kind of talked about imperial college and that experience i wanted to talk a bit more about education with you so another thing we need to have you back on to talk about 
And, um, and, and sure. then, so maybe when you've launched your business, you come back on and tell us about your new business in full and we can ask you these questions. But I would like to end with just one final question, which is if you went back to your younger self and gave advice, what would it be? <clears throat> so, you know, when I brought in the C-suite, the, the, you know, the senior guys who were essentially going to be running the business, I gave them a lot of trust and reliance and I sat back and I let them run the business. And I, and you know, one of the things that I, I look back on and I feel like I would have done differently is, you know, I just let them get on with it. I didn't really, I didn't micromanage the way that I was micromanaging previously. And I didn't micromanage because I thought, well, this is going to emasculate them or it's patronizing, you know, for, for them to, but actually that's not true. Like I was the founder of the business. I had every right to be challenging. And the mistake I made was that even by hiring these five new people who were extremely experienced and, and well-seasoned, they all came with their own cultural influences, right? So then the business started to change in itself. The people that we started to hire within the buying team because of the lady that I hired, they all became mirrors of her rather than mirrors of me, right? Um, and so then there was conflict and politics that started to come out of the woodwork um, you know, we were not looking at the detail, you know, things were going really well, but then they started not going like, you know, like there were things within the business that then started not going well. And I think that was because I let go of the reins. And so, you know, it's important for, in, in my instance and experience to have bought, you know, brought these people in. The mistake I made was to just completely rely on them doing what's right, you know, I think, I think- as a founder as a founder of a business, it's still your business. It's still your vision. It's still your baby. And you have every right to articulate that in a manner that is absorbed and maybe molded slightly. And then, you know, regurgitated back out through, through them. But, uh, it is ultimately, you know, I felt like the business was, was we had lost sight of who we were when I hired these people. And that for me was an issue. Again, such such amazing self awareness and such a nugget of gold. If, if young people can pick up on this, because new entrepreneurs don't even have to be young. You know, I think this concept, what you're talking about, in my view, is you failed to teach your management team the culture. Yeah, and and you didn't know what the culture was. You didn't realize it wasn't just a set of it wasn't just a business. It was a culture, mm. and 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 mm. you you failed to teach them that. And I and funnily enough, you make me think of um. I've I've just watched the Steve Jobs uh, movie with uh, Fastbender in it, the other one. Um, not with Aston I, oh, I haven't seen that yet. I've been yeah, meaning to watch it. Is it good? I, I really liked it. I preferred it to um, the Aston Kutcher one. And and one yeah. of the things I took away um, that you've just made me think of my thought during the movie, which was that you know if uh, Steve Jobs had hired the CEO, the Pepsi guy. Um, and, and instead of letting him, um, let the, the Pepsi guy advise Steve Jobs, which was kind of the dynamic, right? It was like, you know, you're, I'll come to you because you're the seasoned CEO of Pepsi and I'll get advice from you, which is kind of the, how the movie shows him. You know, he, Steve Jobs goes to him and he tells him things, right? But if he'd done it the other way around, if Steve Jobs had been the guy telling the Pepsi CEO the things that he knew, that would have been a very different outcome, I think. Uh, for that yeah. company um, whether it would have been better today or not that's a different matter but I think the company wouldn't have declined in the way that it did and he blamed hiring the wrong person Steve Jobs never said this but it was my thought going through my mind when watching the movie the mistake he made was not hiring a seasoned CEO but was not teaching that CEO the culture and entrepreneurship in the way that Steve Jobs knew it and that's exactly what I think you've just said is the thing you go back to your younger self as an entrepreneur and teach mm. 
Exactly, you put the nail on the head. Yeah. I, I hope I don't make the same mistake. No, well, you're aware of it. I mean, isn't isn't learning from mistakes uh, about um, um, about uh, being aware of these things? I think basically it's I about think so. that learning. The, I think a lot of people make mistakes. The one mistake people make about making mistakes, I think, is that they don't learn the right lessons from that mistake. So, for example, someone mm. will take a risk and, and bet on a startup and it fails, and they'll learn, oh, I shouldn't invest in startups. They're a big risk. And I'll say, no, 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 you didn't invest in enough startups. That, that's mm. the lesson you should learn. Or you didn't do enough due diligence, or you didn't get involved enough in helping that startup be successful. That's the lesson. Not that you shouldn't invest or take risk, right? So it's mm. always learning the right lessons. And you've learned the right lessons. And, and I, I'm so grateful that you take the time to share those insights with us today because for people to admit their mistakes... I think shows how, what a human being you are. Or you're willing to talk about it. You've got your CV is mind blowing. I mean, what you've actually achieved, most people dream of. And here you are mm. sitting here talking about all the mistakes you ha- made and how you how you have these these insights and you're sharing them with people instead of talking about how much money you made and how much you know. You're sharing the insights that I think are gold, and I really really appreciate it. And I know my listeners will too. So thank I'm, you. I, I, I I'm really grateful for uh, for you inviting me onto this uh, podcast. And I honestly like I've done I've done quite a few of these in the past and um, I really enjoyed this one. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to sum up a few things. I just want to make sure um, don't get lost in the mix that just at the end, I know some people skip to the end, so they have to listen to these end bits, but maybe then go back and listen to the full podcast and make the effort to pick up all the insights in detail. Sure. But here's, here's a few of the things. I think you've mentioned the word fun uh, a few times in your business. You had a lot of fun, the Hyde Park experience and so on. You know, It's so important to have fun in your business and I really want it to come through and I think you've highlighted it quite a few times. I don't want people to miss it. You mentioned equity earlier and how you know you gave equity to everyone which sounds like the, the, the perfect thing to do but you highlighted another important lesson I think which is equity isn't for everyone that also can equal responsibility if the business isn't making money they've got debt and liability and just because you believe equity is the only way to go forward in your business doesn't mean to say that your people working with you feel the same way so you know don't read a book about how it's good to give everyone equity and create a co-op like John Lewis for example in the UK it doesn't necessarily equal success and I think what you talked about there about the nuances of understanding your your colleagues understanding what they really need what they really want is important not trying to just with a sledgehammer say well I've given everyone equity they're going to care about the business I've had experience where I gave equity to someone because I thought it would make them better at their job it didn't make any difference they were going to be mm. bad at their job with or without equity just bottom line I think the um, the point you make we all need a, a PD and a Bambi in our lives you know uh, I think it's um, I actually felt very emotional when you were talking about your, your father because you know I, I lost my father at 15 years old so it's such a wonderful thing to have a father like you've got and I think we can all find mentors like that you know you, you're lucky to be born into a family where you, you have that relationship but there are PDs out there that will take risks on you and, and bet their house on you and, 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 and do that I know it I've seen it and, and it's wonderful 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 to hear i love um i also like the point you mentioned earlier about you know 1960s uh, and and you know, he, he was an immigrant and and he couldn't get a job and that kind of let's say he, i think he taught himself to be an entrepreneur because there was kind of no choice and i think that's very relevant today and i mean a lot of young people say oh it's easier for people before you know houses were cheaper this was cheaper it's actually easier now there is no better time than now to start a business you said and i couldn't agree more it was actually harder in the 60s there wasn't the internet or linkedin to find the contact you need or the ability to live broadcast to millions of people instantly for free and compete with walmart right now globally you don't need to open up all their stores there is no better time you said than right now to start a business and i could not agree more but i also love the point that difficult times where your father 
because of racism, because of whatever reason, wasn't able perhaps to get a job, that he just decided to create businesses for himself and taught himself to become an entrepreneur. I think the same is today possible. Maybe because of COVID, you can't get a job and you might see in your son later that that was the best thing that's ever happened to you. And this time right now was an amazing period of history to be living through an experience. I also, um, I think everyone should start a pilot radio show or do a podcast. Um, <laughs> Satch, I actually want you to come on and co-host this radio station with me at some point. And I'm calling it a podcast because it sounds trendier, <laughs> but in, tr- in true reality, it's just an updated version of a radio show. I'd love to get in some trouble with you, whatever trouble you got into before. I reckon we could do it 10x here. I love the co-founder um, must be different from you point. I can't emphasize this enough. In all the co-founders I've had, I either love to run it on my own or have a co-founder who's very different to me, which can sound very hard to make happen because someone different to you might not necessarily be in your circle. So, you know, that was lucky enough to have his brother uh, in his life who's very different to him, but he knows him and, and that's a wonderful dynamic. But I do think if you're going to get a co-founder, it's very powerful to have someone with different skills to you. Do try to keep that in mind and learn from Dutch's experience. I, I think this um, use your brain more point is really important too. There's plenty mm. of ways to learn. You don't have to go to school to learn is my thesis, but doing what Dach has done, start a business, hire people that can teach you things. I really think uh, that, that that to me is, is, is again, gold. There's no original idea. Don't forget that. You know, if someone says you're copying someone else's idea, well, who isn't? You know, I, I lived in China for a long time. I remember Peter Thiel coming out and saying, oh, everyone in China is copying. Well, you know, today they're innovating. Yes, uh, Facebook, he invested in Facebook, Peter Thiel. He uh, invested in a business that copied someone else's business, right? So everyone's copying everyone else. Let's not judge. I think you can copy morally. Personally, I don't like, for example, stealing people's do- domain names and holding them on and copying in that way. But I think looking at someone's idea and seeing a way to do it better, that is how we move forward as a universe. You know, you've got to keep improving on what's already out there. So so there is no original idea. Is another thing I've taken away from, from you. I, I, uh, I like the point you mentioned as well about failure. We keep bringing it up, you know, you might fail and the stats will show you, you probably will. But you said, uh, but don't let that stop you starting. Right, that's just gold. We should put that on a t-shirt and um, I want people to never forget. It's not about failing for failing's sake. It's actually a good experience to fail and the nuance of it's good to fail. It's very important. I think you've hopefully got that from Datch today and his insights. I could go on and on. Um, I want to meet Bambi. I think we should have her on the show too. I'd love to hear her entrepreneurial journey. She beats, beats, uh, pushes out her career. I, I'm glad to hear she's learned delegation and, and given you responsibility for the record label creation. And I, I'm really uh, glad that delegation is also a word we talked about a bit today. It's not come up in any of the other... Uh, 80 odd podcasts I've done I think delegation is a really important part of growing as a human being without as you said at the end uh, without delegating to a point where there are certain things that are still your responsibility in your case teaching the management team you brought in culture there is a, an element of delegation that's very important to learn but there's also an element that your dad held on to sounds like by not delegating which was the culture of the business and that 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 need to keep that in 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 check no matter what you do. So there's delegation to a point, I think, is the end conclusion on, on that insight today. Definitely. Thank you again for taking the time to share your story with us. You've been an awesome guest and I'm so grateful. Thank you for listening to the Purposeful Project podcast today. If you got any value from this podcast, then do feel free to give us a review and give us your feedback. And if you think anybody out there might enjoy this story of this real-life successful entrepreneur, then feel free to share and, of course, go and visit purposefulproject.com and join our mailing list at any point. Thanks again for listening.